In Psalms 84 begins, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My, song, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her, her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My king and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those who find, whose strength is in you, whose, in whose hearts are highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it through, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appears before the God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that we're able to, to have it, God, that we're able to read it, that we're able to study the Psalms this summer, Lord, and just hear how the psalmist just wrote these beautiful psalms, just praising you, Lord. God, I pray today that all the distractions are gone, Lord, that everything that's happening outside those doors are put on the back burner, and we are just enamored with your word this morning, Lord. I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth, God, that everything that's from me falls flat on its face, God, that everything is from, that's from you, let it hit where it needs to hit, Lord. God, you, you are the creator, but you're also the redeemer, Lord. You, you came to die for our sins, God. You are also the Holy Spirit, Lord. You give us the power to be able to understand your word, God. Give me the power to be able to preach this word today, no matter what it needs to say, Lord. We, we love you and we thank you for everything. Amen. You may be seated. So in seminary, um, I have a lot of seminary stories, um, sorry. Uh, but in seminary, we had an evan evangelism class. And part of our, our um, syllabus, part of the things that we had to do for that class was we had to go to the part of Kansas City that had a lot of homeless people. That was really over, over, overwhelmed by homeless people. And we were given care packages and pocket Bibles and tracks, and we were told to go street evangelize, to go strike up conversations with, with the homeless and try to, to, to lead the conversations to God and you know, share the gospel with them. And that day was probably top five, the scariest days that I've ever had. Um, just because, you know, you're, you're talking to strangers, trying to strike up conversations with them. It's in the part of town that our, uh, 
one of our professors was like, oh, by the way, just so you know, someone was killed in that alley right there and other people were raped over there. So just keep your eyes open. But these people need God just as much as anyone else does. And just as much as we do. Um, but the, 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 the real thing that, especially this week as I was reading Psalm 84, really struck me is that the people had nothing to give. They had absolutely nothing that they could, they could offer. They didn't need a hand up. They needed a hand out from people. And today, while I don't think any of us are, are that physically in dire straits, if you are, come talk to me. Come talk to any of the elders and just talk to us. Um, but I don't think any of us are really that, that bad off that we're, we're having to not just beg for everything, but if we don't get something to nourish ourselves tonight, then we're going to die. But how are we spiritually? How do we approach worship? How do we approach God? Is it like the prodigal son who after looking at the slop that he ended up feeding the pigs after he spent all of his father's fortune and looking at it and going, man, that's better than what I'm going to eat tonight and running to his father's house, just begging him to be able to be a slave in that house. Or are we more like the other brother who expected only good things from his father and returned him with animosity? You know, I thought we're gonna close and or we're gonna end with that question as well today. But this morning, I want us to look at the three traits of a beggar worshiper. These traits are: the beggar worshiper resides in the house of the God, the house in God's house. He relies on God's strength, and the beggar worshiper trusts in God's promise. Now, I just said beggar worshiper. You can see beggar worshiper up on your screen, and you guys are all super smart people that know your Bible a lot better than I ever will. And you could probably tell while I was reading it that the, there's like, it doesn't say beggar worshiper. It doesn't even really say beggar in most of our translations. But I want you to look with me real quick before we, we dive in at verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. So that, that word doorkeeper is a really nifty word because the, uh, the Hebrew word, like, it means doorkeeper. Like your Bible is accurate and trustworthy. But there's, there's a connotation to that in the Hebrew. It's not a palatin, which is what when I first read it, I thought someone who stands guard at the gate to make sure that no one comes through. It's of someone who's laying down by the gate with their hand out, just asking for something. It's not the person facing out from the gate guarding it. It's the person with their back up against the wall, bracing themselves. It's not the person holding a sword and a shield ready to defend. It's the person who has nothing to even steal from. It's not the person who, who says, I only have an hour left on my, my my guard duty, and then it's dinner time. It's the person who says, please, I only have an hour left to live. Do you have any scraps you can give me so I can eat? 
It's not the person who gets respected for their work. It's the person who gets kicked, mocked, harassed. If they're lucky, scraps and pennies given to them. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. What's your stance this morning? We'll ask this again. Is it of the deserving poor who only needs a hand up, who's managing and just needs that extra boost? Or is it the beggar who has nothing? That all you can do is simply give, (laughs) that you have nothing you can give, you simply can throw up your hands and cry out, God, I have nothing to give you. I am not good enough, and this world has nothing for me. I cannot live another day without you. I'm not simply lost, God, I'm dead. I cannot make it through another night. What is your stance this morning? So with that in mind, let's, let's look at our first blessing, that the beggar worshiper resides in the house of the Lord. So, verse one, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My soul, my heart and flesh sing for joy of the living God. Man. So, because I'm a nerd, I was like, you know, what, what is the, the dwelling place of the Lord? Does Bible talk anything about the dwelling place of the Lord? Yes, go figure, it does. So let's talk about the heaven, God's dwelling place for a second. Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah is in the, the temple of the Lord, in his dwelling place. And the Lord's robes cover the entire temple, showing that his, majest, his majesty, and he's attended by two seraphim, winged angels that have six wings, and they fly with two, and they cover their face with two, and they cover their feet with the other two, because they're in the presence of the Lord. And what's also interesting about that is there's an altar between Isaiah and God in the dwelling place. Now, Isaiah isn't the only place that we find reference to God's dwelling place. We also find in Revelation 4. And there's a throne in the center It's made of jasper and carmelian, precious gemstones. And it's surrounded by a rainbow, a perfect rainbow of every color. It's perfect in its shade. And it's encircled by little thrones, which was a thing back in in ancient days that showed how powerful someone is because they weren't just, they didn't just have a throne, but those who attended them also had thrones of their own that were all facing the king. And what's even cooler about the Revelation 4 is it expands on that. It's not just, you know, there's thrones, there's, you know, angels surrounding God, but there's all these hosts, which in case you you, you noticed, most likely, but the Lord of hosts is mentioned quite a few times in Psalms 84. Now, that's, that's a really cool, cool word because it doesn't just mean hosts. Um, Some of your translations might say armies. It's both of those. It's being surrounded by legions upon legions of these hosts of angelic beings that we can't even put into words, which is really cool. And in Revelation 4, (laughs) 
in Revelation 4, all these, all these angelic beings are all singing one thing, and that is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, is, and is to come. That's so, it's so cool. Whenever you're in the presence of the Lord, what's the one thing that they're doing? They're worshiping. It's so cool. So that is the dwelling place of the Lord. That is the place that the psalmist's heart is longing for. That's the place that my heart's longing for, especially with everything that's going on out there. There's no better place I'd rather be than in God's dwelling place. So that's God's dwelling place. Now let's look at, the, at verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow finds a nest for her young. And the place they find this dwelling place is at God's altar, at the Lord's altars. I don't think it literally means birds are landing on God's altars. I feel like the high priest would be taking his broom trying to to shoo him off. But this is poetry. So they're going to use allusions and illustrations and stuff. Um, The sparrow is the worthless bird. It's the, wor- it's the bird that it takes two of them to even get a penny, as Jesus tells us in one of his uh, parables. And the swallow is a restless bird. They only land to lay their, their young. The rest of the time, they're always flying. They never stop. <clears throat> and the world makes us worthless and restless. It makes us feel like we don't matter when we matter to God. It makes us feel restless because we're always trying to keep up with the Joneses or whomever. And what does, God, what does, what does Jesus offer us? Because Jesus mentions the same thing in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All those who are weak and heavy laden, all those who are worthless and restless, where do you go? You go to the altars of the Lord. Now, I just, I finished a, a personal study in Leviticus, and it's, and Exodus, um, and it's so cool because once you start learning more about the altars, because it's not just singular, it's not at your altar, it's altars, because there's two altars in the temple. There is a brazen altar, and then there's a golden altar. The brazen altar is the sacrificial altar, where the brazen altar is the one that's in the Holy of Holies. Um, Unlike David, I love typology. Um, I love drawing as much as I can to Jesus, even if it's not one-to-one. Um, but I, I think this one is. I think he'd agree with me on this. But the brazen altar is a sacrificial altar. We can tie this to Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself for us as the perfect lamb on the Lord's altar. But he didn't stay dead. He rose and took the place of power at the right hand of the Lord at the golden altar 
at the exalting altar. It's so cool. <laughs> Where can we find rest when we're weary, heavy laden, restless, and feeling worthless? At the altars. We can find comfort in the fact that Jesus died for our sins, but we don't just find comfort in that. We find comfort in the fact that he didn't stay dead. He rose, and now he's our mediator to God. So cool. And most importantly, where do we go? We go to the house of the Lord. We can't find this peace. We can't find worth. We can't find rest outside of God's house. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, everything in your praise. Yeah. Praise God. So the beggar worshiper resides in the house of the Lord. He sings God's praises. When you do an action, it shows where your heart is. Um, and it also, it's nifty because once you start doing an action, like reading your Bible every day, you might not want to, but as it becomes habitual, you find that you're, you're missing something that day when you don't do it. It's the same way with worshiping God. Even if we don't feel it in the deep of our bones, like if we had a hard night, babies wouldn't sleep or whatever, um, maybe it had been a little too personal. <laughs> but you can still worship. And as you worship, you will want to worship more because our God is so great. So the... The beggar worshiper doesn't just dwell in the house of the Lord and sing his praises. The beggar worshiper also relies on the Lord for strength. So the beggar worshiper relies on God's strength. Thank you. <laughs> so with... Uh, Um, so this first, in verse, in verse six, um, verse five is our blessing for those whose strength is in you, whose heart is highways to Zion. In verse six, they go through the valley of Becca. So we don't know what Becca is, what the valley of Becca is. Um, I read four different commentaries to try to see what they had to say, and I got four different responses. So I'll tell you three of them that I liked, and I'll tell you the one that I, I think is best, but you can choose for yourself. So the, the Valley of Becca is, it could be the Valley of Bacham that's mentioned in Judges 2.1, which is a place of weeping for the Jews. It could also be a Valley of Tear Shrubs, or it could be signifying a Valley of Mulberry Trees, which Mulberry Trees are really interesting because they like a dry, arid climate. Um, any and all of these could be correct. Again, this is poetry. So they could be drawn from multiple different places for their illusions. But I think it's the mulberry trees, just because the rest of the verse mentions, you know, making a place of springs and that the early rain covers it with, with pools. So 
In verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before the God of Zion. And whose strength are they using? We can go back to verse 5 for that. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. They're not finding their strength in a good meal, in, in clever speech, in their own power. It's, in the wis- or it's not in the wisdom of the world either or the strength of men. It's God. They're finding their strength in God. And remember, even Jesus said it, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. But where do we find strength in God? Or, yeah, where, where do we find strength in God? Um, verse, verse eight, it's so cool. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Oh, give an, give an ear, oh God, of Jacob. Both those names demonstrate two aspects of God. First, again, is this Lord of hosts, this majestic, sovereign God who's not just in control of us, but he has armies of angels. He has hosts upon hosts that he's over, which is amazing. But not just that. Oh, God of Jacob, which is such a beautiful name for God. Because it doesn't just say, signify, you know, you know, that it's Jacob's God. It's supposed to bring back all those promises. The fact that God chose Abram to make a nation. The fact that Jacob had 12 sons. The fact that they didn't, they didn't just stay slaves in Egypt. The fact that they were given a land of milk and honey when they really didn't deserve it. The fact that through that line, Jesus came to die for us. God of Jacob isn't just some little meaningless title. It is the entire story of the Bible in one little phrase. It's so cool. Man, yeah, so cool. So cool. Um, sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, man. Praise God. Praise God. The beggar worshiper relies on the strength of God, not only for today's trials, but also for his eternal salvation. And what's really cool about that is if we rely on God for our eternal salvation, the worries of this world seem meaningless. Paul, after being shipwrecked twice, after being stoned on countless occasions with rocks, um, after everything that happened to him, he didn't go, man, look at, all the, look at all these wounds. Look at all these scars. They hurt. He went, oh, these, yeah. This is, this is just, it's just going to be a moment. It's a momentary affliction when put in, in the context of our eternal salvation. It's so amazing. And the third and final trait of the beggar worshiper that we're going to talk about this morning is that the beggar worshiper trusts in God's promise. 
And we're really going to focus on verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look at the face of your anointed. Anointed is a beautiful word. The Hebrew word for it is Mashiach, which we get Messiah, which we get Christ from in the Greek. So, beloved, look upon the anointed. Look upon the Messiah, upon the Christ. Beloved, look at the face of your Savior, upon Jesus' face, upon the scars on his hand, upon the wound in his side, the signs that Jesus died, but in his death he was victorious. The curtain in the temple that separated the two altars, that separated us from being able to see upon the glory of God was ripped in two We're able to come to God now, not just as servants, but as children. Beloved, we can look forward to God's courts longingly now. We can look upon them not cowering because the perfect judge is going to have to extract the perfect consequence from us. But we can look upon it as we get to go to our Father. Look upon the face of the anointed, beloved, for the first time or for the 500th time. Do not grow bored with it. Why? Verse 11, for the Lord God is the sun and the shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold for those who walk uprightly. The Lord Jesus, when this world is over, when the new heavens and new earth come, there's not going to be a son. Revelation 21 tells us this. There's no need for the inadequate S-U-N because the son, S-O-N, is going to be there. Jesus will be there. And his holiness, his sheer holiness, is going to be to light our way. And he is our shield, beloved. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter how difficult things are right now. Beloved, he is your shield. They repeat, the psalmist repeats this twice. It's important. He is your shield. Look upon the face of your anointing. He's our deliverance. He's our blessing. Beloved, look upon the face of the anointing. O Lord, a host, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So this morning, we looked at the beggar worshiper resides in the house of the Lord. He relies on the strength of God, and he trusts in God's promise. And I want to close, like I said I would, with the same question that I posed at the beginning. What type of worshiper are you this morning? Are you perhaps a middle-class worshiper? who's just here out of obligation because you feel like this is what you need to do on Sunday mornings? Are you approaching it maybe as just a deserving poor who thinks you only need a hand up? Or are you approaching it as a beggar worshiper who just has your hands out going, God, just give me what I need for today, Lord. I cannot make it through today without you, God. God, you are the only thing that will be able to sustain me 
Lord, nothing in this world has any value to me. God, only you. I feel like the only good way to end a sermon about worship is for us to worship our Lord. Um, But before I invite our worship team up, um, I want to challenge you. Because I like to challenge people. So, I'm sorry. But, beloved, how, how are you approaching worship today? How have you been approaching worship? Has it gone stale? Has it lost some of its, its energy? Beloved, look upon the face of the anointed. Do not forget that. And if you haven't accepted Jesus into your, to be the Lord of your life, do it. I um, look on the face of the anointed. Nothing else will fill that hole in your heart. You have a God-shaped hole, and we try to fill it with all these worldly passions, people, pleasures, pride, and none of it will satisfy you. None of it will leave you content. The only thing that will do that is looking on the face of the anointed, looking to Jesus. So I'm, I will pray for us, and as I do, I want to invite the, the worship team up. Father God, thank you once again, God, for your word, Lord, and thank you for the word, Lord, for Jesus, who came to die for our sins, Lord, that who came to take our place. God, you... Just saying you're wonderful doesn't seem like it's enough, God, but you are wonderful. God, the fact that you are the Lord of hosts, yet you still came as a baby to die for us. God, you, you're wonderful, Lord. We love you and we thank you so much for all of your mercies and blessings, God. Amen. Amen. Today's benediction is in the 15th chapter of Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always bounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not vain. I love you guys. Peace be with you this week. You're dismissed.